I am Bonnie Wellett and I am a queer chaplain. Um, the reason why I just call myself queer, well, you can probably tell, but um, one of the things is a queer chaplain. Oftentimes, chaplains are with people around death and dying. Usually, death and dying in the body, um, usually around illnesses, maybe hospitals, armies, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I feel called to be with people around death and dying to self, which is usually more in the form of an identity or a belief. It's coming to see yourself differently than you've once seen yourself before. Um, and I think one of the things that I love about chaplaincy is that you're able to invite someone to bring or notice their spirit within that process. Um, throughout my life, I came into identities that I was told or that I believed uh, made me no longer eligible or able to access God or even my own spirit bringing me connected with myself in a way um, that could be helpful. So being able to help people realize that you can be queer, you can be trans, you can be gay, you can be, uh, you can struggle with substance use, you can like all these sorts of things and you can still have God in your life, which is not something that I was taught um, growing up. I grew up in Wendell, Idaho, which I'm sure nobody really knows probably what that is. Maybe, but, um, so Idaho is not Iowa or Ohio, um, but it is just north of here a little ways in the Pacific Northwest, and my hometown was a little, a little less than 3,000 people, so it was pretty small. Um, I grew up with my mother and father. My mother had me when she was a teenager, and my dad was 20. Um, and there was just me and my little brother. Um, my dad had um, a problem with substances, um, and uh, my mother was very codependent. Um, and uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't remember my childhood. Like, I have repressed it, and I've blocked it out. Um, I don't really have many memories until the age of 12. Um, what memories that I do have as a child was at school or church. Um, I had a really hard time being home. Um, I loved my family and they loved me, but they had no clue what to do with me. Um, and my father was constantly, at the time I didn't realize that he was constantly correcting my femininity. He was constantly correcting my softness. And that was something that I didn't I didn't really fully understand. I just um, I couldn't help myself and I just kept getting in trouble. Um, and, and then I had this problem from some traumatic thing that again that I don't remember happened, but it, it caused me to go mute. Um, and I spent a period of my time as a child unable to speak. Um, and then once I was able to speak, I had a problem with um, with crying, um, all there had to be was some potential conflict, and I would just cry, and I would like hysterical cry, and and then my dad would get upset, and then I would just get more upset because dad's upset, and and there was no, it was a trauma response, which no one in my family knew what, you know, we didn't know what that was really, but I was having a trauma response, and I just thought I was like broken or wrong, like I just couldn't figure out like what was wrong with me. And no matter what I did, it just happened. And so I really had a hard time being at home because I felt like I was always, always in trouble for something. 
got to where I was really unable to just exist uh, comfortably. Like I was always afraid I would like because I would get yelled at for like the way I sat on the couch or that I didn't speak up enough or maybe my hand was too close to my face or you know just like so I really just became very anxious about how to be at home and not get <laughs> clocked I guess you know um, and uh, so I went to school and school was okay but I was like. I was the trailer kid. I was the kid who brought up in the trailer with the dad who was a drug addict, and you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't Mormon either, which was a huge blemish in my community. You had to be Mormon or Catholic, and I wasn't either. Um, so I had a really hard time in school, even though I did fairly well. Um, and then my aunt had taken me to church when I was like five or six, and I loved going to church. Like church to me was like the safe place. And it was really the first queer thing I think I ever did because I grew up in a family of people who didn't go to church. And I grew up, you know, like, just people didn't do church. It was a very weird thing. I remember going to church and my dad, my dad and I, we just always, we, we really just didn't know what to do with each other. And my dad would always tell me that God was my crutch and drugs was his crutch. And I never... I always kind of argued with him about that because I, I didn't understand it, but um, I just felt really comfortable in church. I, I don't know why, because I didn't feel like I, I was corrected about how, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just felt like I fit in there. And then I was able to kind of like, I don't know, I just, it was a safe place for me to land. Um, and it was a place in which I felt worthy. <clears throat> you know, I think for me, at, at the time, I don't think I had a full understanding of what grace is or was, but I think I was experiencing grace at church. I think it was the one place that I felt like I didn't have to put on a show or I didn't have to be not me um, or to be ashamed of like my family or my past or any of that sort of stuff. And so at, at church, I just, I just felt safe. Um, and the one thing that I love that's been so, I had like a complicated experience with God and with church and with grace, but one of the things that I've always really drawn to was this idea of grace. And I think growing up in a trailer house with a poor family, value and worth is something that was really complicated for me because I didn't have money, I didn't have clean clothes, I didn't have, you know, all these sorts of things, which I think as a young person you think that's what speaks to your worth or your value. And I remember at some point feeling like, as I got older, that to stay humble was to like still have holy knees or crappy clothes, even though I might have had money for better clothes, you know, like in order to kind of remain humble. And so I think I've always had this really interesting challenge with what grace is and being able to really just sit in it. Uh, I've always felt like I've had to make up for um, everything. You know, I was really good in school, and I got honors and awards, and I was student body this, and I got my letter, and I did all these sorts of things to just try to, like, prove that I was maybe okay. Um, you know, I had to be really, really great at everything. Um, I was a goody two-shoes, I was like, you know, Miss Perfect, and, you know, like, you know, I had to get, like, um, and then once I got older and just going to working and stuff, you know, I was like, I wanted to be like the employee of the month, but like every month, you know what I mean? Like, it was, it was like, 
I really had a lot to try to like, I don't know, I, I, I never realized it, but I was really trying to make up for where I came from. Um, there was also this pressure, my family was also very encouraging of me. They wanted, they, for some reason I seemed to be smart, I seemed to be um, capable, I had my father's charm and my mother's brains and like somehow I was gonna be able to like be different. And so my family really encouraged me to like go off to, to get life outside of the trailer house. But they really they didn't know how they didn't know how to do that. You know, like they didn't know how to teach me or show me how to do that. And so it was very again, it was like another one of those things where my parents told me how amazing and great I was and that I can do all this sort of stuff, but I didn't know how. And then I couldn't ask them because they didn't know and then, or they would tell me that I already knew. And so again, it was like another space for me to feel like I was, again, not worthy or not capable when everything else around me is telling me that I am. Um, so, so church was just a safe place for me to land until it wasn't. Um, when I, uh, I got infected with HIV when I was 19 years old, um, it was the first time I'd ever been tested, and I didn't know anything about it. Um, it was 1999, but it might as well have been 1981, because we just didn't know a lot about it, and didn't know, you know, we just didn't know what to do with that. Um, at the time, um, I'm transgender, so I'm trans femme, um, and so at the time, I hadn't even told my family that I was a gay man at that point in time is how I kind of saw myself. My family didn't even know that about me. Um, I hadn't even really come to that understanding, but I got diagnosed with HIV, and that caused me to, yeah, it, it caused a lot of a lot of trauma and drama. Um, it was not what I had planned. Um, I thought that I had really made the ultimate mistake, um, that I had and uh, all those things that I worked so hard for, um, like all those honors, all the awards, you know, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, I went to school to be an architect, a model, a preacher, you know, all that sort of stuff that we do with young people. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and all of a sudden I was just, um, I was just a queer kid who was going to die of AIDS. And I really thought it was going to happen soon. And I, it was just a very difficult, thing for me to handle it. I was able to talk to my family about it. They actually were able to kind of show up for me um, in ways that is quite remarkable to think about now. Um, uh, and then church became no longer the place I could go. Um, church was not the safe place I could land anymore um, because I had believed the lie that um, I couldn't be queer and God still loved me, or God still wants something to do with me. And I, I was, luckily I was fortunate enough to where like I knew, um, I, I knew God understood, like I really felt like God got it, but I didn't have, I didn't have the capacity. Like I did not know how God could love me anyway. Like I just could not grasp that. And that was kind of my thinking was that God will love me even though I'm a horrible person, right? Um, and I wished I wasn't gay, but that's what I was. And I also knew, though, that I couldn't not be. Like, I couldn't not be gay. I couldn't not be HIV positive. And so it was really confusing to me, though. There was a part of me that knew that God 
had the capacity for it. I just didn't at that time. And church definitely did not have the capacity for it, at least the churches that I was in at that time in my life. And so I kind of put God up on a shelf and just kind of was like, okay, I can't, I can't write home, you know? And um, I ended up uh, finding myself in drugs and alcohol and um, the club life and um, the life that my father had that I swore that I would never, you know, because I think God and church had been my crutch that I no longer had, I needed something else to, to be able to get through life because I really believed that life was just difficult and you just try to get through it and be kind, you know. Um, and so, um, thankfully, um, I was able, one of the, there was some, you know, God's grace was still present, even when I didn't know God was there. And even in the club scene and the, you know, even doing all those sorts of things that I thought were taking me further and further away from God, actually was giving me life. And it was giving me life in a way that, um, I mean, you hear queer, queer people talk about it all the time, they're like, you know, that drive me gave me life, or I was getting my life out on the dance floor, or, you know, and, and I learned to just let loose. I learned to just, like, live, because I was so scared to die. And I found myself with all these amazing queer creatures that I had never seen before in my life, and I was totally amazed and, like, in awe of, and also, like, I'm not like that, but maybe, you know? Um, and, and they taught me how to love myself, and they taught me to have pride, and they taught me to have confidence, and they, they showed me grace. You know, they really were, I believe that, you know, I can see that God was at work um, in those people, and those people showing up in my life. And thankfully, I was able to get out of a space to where I was able to get away from drugs and alcohol that didn't kill me, because so many of my friends and loved ones uh, haven't made it out. Um, and, uh, and in that process of, of um, coming to find God again, actually, you know, me needing to get rid of drugs and alcohol, I got to a point in my life where I was just desperate. I, I was actually doing quite well. I was running an HIV AIDS organization that I had started when I was young, and I was, um, in a lot of ways, I was doing some really great things, but I was also struggling with, um, I just felt really not okay inside, in my spirit. Um, and I felt like I was about to make decisions that were going to undo even the good stuff that I somehow was able to do. And so, um, when I quit, when I quit, when I thought that I had a problem with drugs and alcohol, I met people who were queer and addicts who talked about having God in their life. And I didn't understand that because I didn't think I didn't think it was possible. Like I didn't think those two things could mix. And at that time I, I didn't really know how much I wanted God back in my life. Um, but I was really intrigued at how these people could talk about God in this way and, and live these queer lives, these lives that I didn't think were possible to still have God in. And I was so curious about that. And I was desperate, to be honest. You know, I was really desperate to, to get God in my life. And I think that kind of leads me, like, uh, this verse is a little complicated um, <laughs> that was read before. And 
and it kind of talks to this place of getting to weakness and like kind of these like extreme weaknesses. I think maybe not huge stuff is is talked about in that scripture. And I was definitely at that place in my life where I could not be cute, no matter how hard I tried. Um, and so I just needed God in my life to like make it okay, like right to like to give me strength to be okay. And and honestly, like I didn't know how that was going to happen, but I began. I began to see that when I was able to bring God into my life, when I was able to bring grace into my life, I was able to increase my capacity uh, to live. I was able to do things that I didn't think were possible. Because one of the challenges that I had, regardless of whether I was using substances or I was in relationships or whatever, I really got to the point in my life that I knew I did not know what else to do. Like, I had no clue how to get different results in life. Like, I had just, like, I don't know. I've tried it all. Like, I've tried everything that I know possible, and I keep falling short in the ways that really matter. Falling short with my mother, falling short with my father, falling short with the people that I love and care about, and really falling short with myself. Um, no matter how much great stuff was happening around me. Um, and so, having God back in my life really just, honestly, I did not believe I did not believe it at all. Um, and the God that I first started to have hope for was like your God. Like I just hoped people who talked about God weren't lying. Like that they weren't like, you know, like, I'm like, I hope they're not like full of stuff, you know? Like I'm like, my hopes are like for realsies. And so like, I just kind of used your God for a while. Like I used other people's beliefs and concepts for a while and that was not the God that I met in church. It was some other sort of new God um, uh, that I had really no understanding for. And in the beginning, as I started to use your God or your understanding of God, I started feeling better with life. And I started having the results in life that I was struggling so hard to have. And I remember going, I remember having times of being like, well, what if it's all a lie? Like, what if, what if it is a lie? Like, what if I'm believing all these sorts of things that are true in the end. And I'm like, well, does it really matter because I'm getting the results that I've always wanted now? Like, what does it matter at the end if I am like, booyah, gotcha, you know? It's like, but I already lived my best life, you know? I already lived the best life, life that I possibly could. Um, and so for a long time, there was this kind of desperate need for God in my life again. And I think that I... I did go to God with all my weak parts, and, and um, that's kind of been my relationship still. Like, I remember, um, uh, kind of a little trigger warning with uh, death, but, um, but my, um, my, nephew, uh, my nephew was in the ICU, and I remember I, I flew to see him, and this was a part of my life. I've been kind of living a spiritual life for about three years. I was feeling pretty, pretty high and God and church and stuff, you know, feeling like I was in a good spiritual space. And then I got a call to go back home because my nephew was in the ICU. And I remember getting into the ICU and seeing that little guy and just being like, I have no idea what the best, like, I don't know what is the best outcome. Should he live? Should he die? If he, you know, all these sorts of things. And I was able to finally, like, I think, be still and know 
that I was not God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was able to trust that maybe God knew better in this situation than I did. And so I was able to, um, I was able to just let go of that part and just show up for my family. And I showed up, I held my nephew when we took him off the machines, and he took his last breath. I held my nephew at his memorial service, you know, that's, a, that's what they do at the Mormon church, I guess. Um, like, I was the queer person who was actually the in-between, between my family who, you know, everybody gets tattoos and throws a party. <laughs> And then my brother's wife's family were Mormon. And I was kind of this in-between person trying to have help each family have an experience with my nephew Wyatt. And I never felt so close to God. I never felt so close. Like I never felt more okay to like show up. Like I was the girl that didn't go to a funeral. I didn't go, like I just did not do that stuff. It was too uncomfortable for me. And for whatever reason, I showed up in ways that I could not imagine. Um, and that really caused me to want to do more around spiritual spirituality and queerness. And I think that's the challenge for me still, is kind of getting to that space. I mean, one of the things that, that over the years, it doesn't take much for me to feel like I need God, um, which is good. But sometimes, I think that's why maybe Paul talked about, like, being in that weakness, being in that space of like knowing that I'm not enough on my own, that that was like a good place to be. Um, I think it is a, it's a place where I often find God, but I don't think it's the only place, nor is it the necessary place. Because I feel like sometimes it can feel like you have to go through crap so that I can be with God, and I don't think that's the way, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's what it's meant for, but that has been my experience, and I think that's lots of people's experience. And so for me, I've been really trying to find, and I'm continuing to really be able to find a way to, 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 to know, I mean, like, to really live into grace. Like, grace to me is, is the, the idea that we all have value, we all have worth, and it's all the same. There's nothing I can do to be better than you, and there's nothing that I can do to be worse than you. Um, and that's really important for a person like me to remember. And it's a really hard way for me to actually exist. Um, like to actually live in me knowing that to be what I believe is true is really difficult for me. And that's something that I constantly need God for. I need constantly spiritual space and settings, and I need other people to really be able to to show me and speak to me and remind me um, that I'm not in this alone. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I really struggled with um, figuring out what to say to you all, you know, in some ways, to be honest, I feel like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher, I don't have an emptive, you know, like, these sorts of things, but for whatever reason, I find myself dressed up in drag, talking to people about spiritual stuff, and, and I love it. Um, and it feels, it feels like I'm a co-creator with God now. Um, I God has always been my creator, but I've also allowed myself to be created by so many other things in my life, um, and created in a way that was not helpful for me or for the people around me. 
that I'm a co-creator with God, that we're able to, when life happens, when those difficult things happen, me and God get to spend some time figuring out how is this going to impact my life? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to build from it so that I can feel like I have some of my own agency and that I can have a little bit more hope and trust and even purpose? Uh, because for so long, I was just bouncing around from everything else that was creating me. And I was forgetting that God was a part of that as well, that whole time too. And so one of the things that's been really great about my healing process and what I like to do with other folks is to be able to go back in my past and see where God and God's grace always was at play and always present. Um, I think what that helps me do is it reminds me of my resilience. Um, it also builds my faith. And it also gives me hope that when I can't see God again, or that I can't feel it, or I can't believe the things that I know to be true, that I can have hope that I will someday, that someday I will have the capacity. I believe that I have an experience with God. I have a knowing that is unknowable. It's ununderstandable, uncomprehendable for me to fully speak to or to, but I know that it's there. And so my challenge has been finding community around that um, because oftentimes, you know, there's so many rules, there's so many things that we do that feel so contrary to grace. Um, and so, um, I don't really know uh, what else to say, um, but you know, there's still a lot of things in my life that I don't have capacity for. Um, and so those are things that I give to grace. And this is kind of silly, but I have like a little box that, um, has grace on it. <laughs> it says grace, and inside I have things that I just don't know what to do with. Things that are really complicated, you know? I have my father in here. I have my father, the love of my father in here. Because um, my father will not look at me or have anything to do with me since I transitioned. For years, he even loved me when I had AIDS. Loved me when I was poor. He wished I was just gay. Um, but I know he loves me. And I know I love him. I just don't know how. I don't know how to show up for him. I don't know how to. I just don't know how. Um, and that's created complications with my mother, too, who's dealing with uh, third stage anal cancer right now with radiation and chemo. And I'm not even allowed to show up to be there with my mom um, because of the complications with everything. I have no freaking clue. I can't hold it, you know? Like I, I don't know how to deal with that. So I, I put it in a box, I trust God, and I share my weakness, I share what I'm going through in the hopes that it makes me stronger.
and and at the end of the day, I'm glad that I got to get in drag, stand in front of you, and uh, spend spend time in your embrace. Um, so thank you so much. And, uh,